Welcome back, everyone, to the Reflex Blue Show. I am your host, Donovan Beery, and I have with me Emily Cohen. We are at the How Design Live 2018 here in Boston. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Now, yeah. for you, now you're, you're in New York. It's not that. Yeah. Now it's real close by. You just take the train, take yeah, the car. Yeah, just took the train, yeah. So it's nice. I like conferences that are a little closer. Getting sick of flying. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Emily, you spoke yesterday here about about the power of saying no. I did. And and I'm kind of wondering, like, if you teach everyone to say no, when they'll just when you when you ask them for anything, no one's going to talk to you. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping they're not going to. They're going to use their no selectively. Okay. (laughs) So I think the point is that when you use no, it's when you really need to use no. Like you're at the point where you've negotiated, you've done everything you can, and now you're like, I need to say no. Like you're not going to say no to everything in your life. You know, if you did, that would be a whole other situation. But it's for when you really need to use that word. Yeah, because the idea is is that you said by saying no, you're really selectively saying yes in a way, right? Well, no. <laughs> I mean, because you're, you're giving yourself time to do what you should be doing. Yes, yes. So you're giving, yes, so you're giving yes to the universe to say, I need other, you know... Not yes to whatever you're saying no to, but yes to other things in your life, in your work, in your you know, in your career. So yes, you're saying yes to other things. Exactly. And if and, and since since you obviously prepared for a talk, you, you just came up with you know, you, you worked on this a bit. Yeah. Did you start saying have you been saying no more since It definitely since taught me happened? things. You know, as you research talks, you learn from yourself, right? And you learn from the research you do. So it definitely I started recognizing I'm pretty good at saying no, especially in my business life, maybe personal life not as good. I think what I started recognizing is some of the behaviors I do that undermine my no. So like one of the things I say is all the time I say, you know what I mean? And that I'm undermines. I'm not sure I know what you mean. <laughs> and so that, you know, saying things that qualify your no kind of removes the power from it. So I started, when I started researching no, I realized I was doing things to undermine my own no. And so I've learned to get better at the no. And what I love about the talk is that all the stories that I hear afterwards, you know, people talking to me about how either what I said helped them or they needed to have a specific example and give me a specific example and say, well, how does that, how do you take your strategies and apply the no? So, so can you give us an example of, of no? Of no. Like how do you say it or like a situation where you would say no? Either, no, either yeah. one. Yeah. I think it really depends on where you're working. So in-house, a lot of times... I just heard this yesterday. So two people came up to me, and they have virtual teams. So they're they're separated virtually, and then they have virtual clients all over. In house, they have to. They said they they um, can't say no to their clients. Like they have all these requests from the clients, and I just simply asked them, why can't you say no to clients? Like I think sometimes people don't think they can say no, and so in that situation, I talked to them about, well, why do you need to say no, and how do you say no to make it so that it. You don't, so what happened is they said no. They said no by an email. They said, we didn't have the resources. We can't do this project. And then they, the clients never came back to them. They lost all these in-house clients because they said no. So they're fearful of that no because they don't want to lose these clients. And I said, well, you probably said it wrong, first of all. Right. I mean, no seems like an easy word to say. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they sent an email, which is also not a good idea when you say your no. Um, you really need to make the personal connection and to explain your no. So even though they said they explained it in an email, you really need to explain it in person to them. You know, what to say, my no is this. We don't have, for them, it was they had lack of resources at the moment. So they said, we can't take on these projects right now, but here's what we're doing 
to fix that problem. So in two months or one month, we'll be ready to take on this work. That's a no when you really don't have resources, but a lot of times no is around more when people are pushing you in the wrong direction. So like design firms, because that's mostly my client base, I work with a lot of design firms, the no is more to work that they shouldn't be doing or to client requests that take their company in a different direction or to clients that are just simply assholes. You know, when clients are just mis, um, misusing their relationship. Like, do this, you know, revision in two hours. And, you know, when can they say no without hurting the client relationship? So I think that's a lot of times when people have to say no is to scope creep that's above and beyond the call of duty or that pushes the team and hurts staff morale. Yeah, and you also mentioned that part of, part of, this, part of the no is to kind of actually plan the worst case scenario yes, exactly. in your head. Yeah. And, and I think I think everybody does that. Mm-hmm. Like they automatically if, if I say no, this is all gonna happen. Right. But but you said that it's actually a positive to actually think of that yeah. negative. Yeah, so I make the make the point of saying just think about the worst case scenario. Now not you don't want to be so that there's a difference between making assumptions, like this is how they're gonna respond. Because it's very hard to make assumptions because you're never always right, and then it stops you from saying no effectively. But you can think about like What's your plan B? Are you where? What's going to kind of hold you steady and strong? So, are you willing to quit, or do you need to get other help, or do you need to seek legal advice? You know, so where are you willing to go if the no does not work? If you don't win your no, because if you have that, that keeps you steady and strong and going on direction. So you have to envision what that plan B is. What are you willing to do? And then, and then, but you said also like the the thing that I should probably do more is too, is is think of the positive of what. If that happened in the worst case scenario, yeah. how is that a positive? Yeah. Well, you have to think about that. Like, you have to think, sometimes it go, you go way down the line. So if you, um, are you willing to seek help? So is it terrible if you go to the, let's say you have to say no to your boss and they don't accept the no. Then do you go to HR? Right? What's, and is that going to be so bad? Maybe it will be. And then maybe that's not how far you want to go. So you have to think about that. Did I lose my train of thought there? Did I answer your question? No. No, I didn't. <laughs> there, we there we go. That's how you say no. Uh, so, yeah, you have to just think. So then you go backwards. If you say, like, I'm not willing to quit. Like, I had a person who just said to me, I am not willing to quit. So we had to go backwards and say, what are you willing to do? Because if you're not willing to do anything, then your no is not going to have any power. Yeah. So you have to be willing to accept something. And if that means seeking other help, sometimes a lot of times it's about seeking your peers and saying, okay, we all feel this way, let's all talk together. So maybe it's you're willing to say, if this doesn't work, there's power in numbers. Okay. So I think there's different ways of thinking about it. So you have to backtrack to say, okay, I'm not willing to go that far to quit or to you know go to HR or to go to legal, but I'm willing to do something else. And what is that? So you prepare for it. So there's a lot of preparation in, in saying you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not just a, you're not just saying... Just start saying no to everything. No. You actually, there's a lot of, it's, it's a selective no that you're actually, yeah. but you're also very firm on it. Yeah, exactly. And it's only, like I talk about this a lot because a lot of times people when they come to my talk about no, they think it's about negotiating. And I'm like, no, this is after negotiating. After you've tried to compromise and after you've tried to negotiate, if it's still not working, then you're ready to really walk away from the situation. That's when you say you no. So it's a very different thing. No is when you're really ready. And so it's very selective. It's not like all the time. Right. right? This, is, this isn't a, it's not a just no, 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 and then, yeah. oh, I got nothing to do. Exactly. Okay. It's really thinking about what pushes your boundaries. And we all say no to different things, right? So we have to pick what our battles are. And then that's, I think, one of the things I talk about. 
Like, you know this is being a parent. You have to pick your battles. Like, otherwise, if you say no to everything your kids do or your dogs do or anything like that, you'll just be a negative person. But you have to pick, and it's just so exhausting. So with, same with clients and same with staff. You have to kind of pick your battles and say, this is not worth pushing back on. I can deal with this, but this is something that's worth pushing back on. Yeah, you can't. Every, every design thing that comes in, you can't have a fight on all of it. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes a client says, we want this, and you're like, it's an 11th sales sheet. I can make it look just like the other 10. I don't need to fight this. One. Exactly. Exactly. And I have a client that is actually the opposite problem, which is they do say no to everything. And I think that's damaged their relationships with their clients because they just use it willy-nilly and they feel like that's a way to manage a client. And I'm like, no, you have to use it more selectively because they didn't have long-term relationships with their clients, and I think they were using it too much. So I usually, I don't see that usually. I usually see the opposite way. They don't use it enough, but I did have a client that used it <laughs> way too much. She, had, she was like, I have no problem, though. I'm like, that's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, could, I, could, I could see it going too far. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're going to be right back with uh, Emily Cohn. <laughs> Brutally Honest. Yes. New book. It's my new book. I'm very excited. excited. Yeah. So, so I got it's our, the Kickstarter's already over. It's over. It was over two weeks ago. 140 percent funded. Woohoo! And now, now you you help people drum up business and and yep. creatives drum up business. Yeah. Well, I teach them how to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So it's yep. fun to see because, you know, it's one of these like we we assume that you know how to do what you're doing. Yeah. But but like when we've talked before, you. You know, everything's kind of like confidential. It's not like you can say, I'll give you referrals, but it's not like you you have like case studies per se because uh -huh. I'm sure the clients don't want to see that. Yeah. So all of a sudden when, when I saw that you were doing it, you, you announced that you were going to do this Kickstarter, yeah. it was fun because you were like 80% funded in like two days. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, Emily not only does this for their clients, she can actually use it herself. So yeah. she actually can... Like, like I, I, I com that was when I realized you actually do know what you're doing. Exactly. Oh, that's really pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's like, like yeah. that was. To, I knew, I knew you knew what you were doing. Yeah. But, but that was when I was like, that is proof Emily really yeah. does know what she's doing. Exactly. And to me, it was all. It was really interesting too because I was kind of terrified going into this Kickstarter because it was a lot about the ask, asking all my friends because I have a lot of friends in the industry. And by friends, I mean these people like you that I see once in a year at conferences, but I think they're friends. And I had to ask a lot of my friends to, if they didn't already offer, to help promote the book. And that was hard, you know, and I understood that because I teach my clients that the ask is hard. But I framed it in, it was just a conversation. It was not like, can you, do you, have, you have to do this. It wasn't about sales. And, and once, it was all about relationships. And I realized all these great people who I, I love and adore, who I admire, were so happy to support me, which helped me get to that incredible funding. Um, because all my friends just came out of the woodwork and supported me, mostly because we all help each other out. And they, were, they trusted me, and I trusted them, and we have good relationships. And that's what I try to teach my clients. is like It's all about trust and value and, and friendships and building that relationship. It's not really sales. And is this the first time, you, like on a large scale, where you had to actually use your own... Advice um, like this? Well, I had to use it. So it was different. So this one was about getting money. Yeah. Or getting sort of like social media presence and getting people, like influencers, to promote it. And in 
for me, but I use it all the time for new, getting new business for myself. Like, so for, for the most part, I'm just like my clients. So a lot of my com- my business comes through referrals because I'm pretty well known and I work with pretty amazing people. So the word spreads. But I also want to go and out and meet some people that I want to work for. I don't want to allow my clients to control my business, just like I tell them that. So I still have to use I still have to do relationship building in my own business because I want to get the kind of clients I want to work for. Okay. You know, like even just when I first started my business, I really loved Louise Feely. And I, I went after her. She didn't come to me. You know, I yeah. said, look, I work with your peers and I, look, I think you are exactly the kind of client I want to work for. You know, so you just go out to the people that you want to work for. And and you'd sent along, I think I think the email I got, you you know, you'd sent along like a twenty page PDF of the book. Mm-hmm, yep. And so I read that. It it, it reads great. Oh thank you. Know, you. It's, it's it's the only part of the book I've read. I'm still waiting for a copy. <laughs> and and of course, like like every time I meet with you, I'm it's always like, Why am I not doing this more? You know, you read these things and they seem obvious, yep. but when they're written well and it's presented well yep. and you're like, Okay, this makes sense. So so I tweeted out Yeah, I appreciate about that yeah. the book and then and then I went and got in the super, super early yeah. bird thing. And I'm like, it's, it's like halfway through day one, and the super, super early bird's almost sold out. Yeah. Yeah, it was sold out on day one. It was crazy. Yeah, and the book is very specifically targeted to, to creatives in a lot of different ways. Like, it's definitely, if, if you don't know me, I'm, and that's why it's called Brutally Honest. I'm very straightforward and very right to the point. And I wanted a book like that because there's a lot of books that go yeah, so deep. You, you mentioned it's not Brutally Honest isn't about being mean. No. No. Yeah. It's just being about being direct and honest and truthful to yourself and to the people you're talking to. And that always is a good thing. It's never a bad thing. Okay. I'm brutally honest. The word brutally honest has some negative connotations. Um, and it's not what, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just being really truthful. More than just honest, being really fully truthful in all situations. And so the book is just like that. It's, it's just like me. It's super straightforward. And it's very, like, there's bulleted points, there's checklists, a lot of information graphics because designers, I wanted it to be a book that designers can, like, treasure, not just read. So that's a resource and an ongoing resource. They can, they can, it's like an object that they love that they can put on their desk or that is, like, front and center on their bookshelves. So it has nice paper. It's printed in, like, six colors. Or it's actually going to be printed in, I think, we're thinking eight or nine colors. Oh, eight or nine colors. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. And the paper is gorgeous. And, you know, it's going to be something that designers love. And a lot of business books are just all text. Right. And this is not bad at all. It's highly visual, lots of colors. So what made you think to write this book in the first place? Well, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so first of all, all my competitors were writing books, and I had not written a book. The second thing, and this, there's three things. One is my competitors had done it, and I hadn't done it. The second thing was that, um, I think this is really funny, but people have come up to me at least once a year to say, oh, I read your book. That's why I want to work with you. <laughs> and I've never written a book. <laughs> It's because I think people have read content I've written or they've seen me speak and so they think that I've written this book <laughs> and I haven't. So I thought for those people I should write a book so they can really be true to themselves. But then the third thing, and this is the main reason, is there are a lot of people that can't afford to work with me. But I want people to practice, and I really care about the industry. This is really important to me. I think that a lot of designers are practicing poor behaviors that are hurt our whole industry. So I wanted to create a book that sort of was a Bible for our industry overall so that people can practice really good ethical behaviors. And if we all compete fairly, then when we are against each other in a, in a bidding situation or when we're, we're not undermining each other, 
we're getting the work simply because of the quality of our work, not because we're pricing too low or because we're doing things like doing spec work, which is unethical, you know? So there's different things that the book talks about so that everybody, I want to level set the industry. My goal is that we all just practice some basic behaviors and practices. Yeah, because if, if we don't get a job, a lot of times you never hear who gets the job yeah. or why, but every now and then you, you'll hear something. And, and, if, and, if, and if the client says, well, they basically did all the work for free. Yeah, exactly. Or whatever. Then you're like, you're like, well, that sucks. Cause, yeah. Cause you feel mad because you're like, this isn't helping anybody. No. But if you just hear that, hey, they just, you know, they were a better fit. They liked these people. Yeah. They, they'd already used them. You then know, you lost, feel better. Yeah. We lost one job and, and I, we found out later that, cause they actually told us, they said, um, they said, oh, we, we just used the person that we used last time. Yeah. And then I was just mad because I'm like, why'd you make me go through all these hoops? Yeah, exactly. Like I wasn't even going to respond to this RFP and made me go through all these hoops. And then, yeah. and then you just go back to your old girlfriend, basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and actually the book has answers for that because that okay. happens a lot. Okay. So it gives you, there's this whole question, there's a whole um, section or a chapter just on the questions you asked during the new business. Please tell me it's called, why is my rage justified or not? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, who am I, how many firms am I competing against? Who am I competing how are you going to select them? Because right away you can find out if they if they say there's an in-house that we're, we're working with, we're getting somebody that we already work with, you can say, well, why do you want to switch? And you'll hear yeah. messages about maybe why they don't want to switch. You know, you start hearing things. Or you can say, look, you know, I will be honest. I'm not usually, if I'm up against people who already have the account, it's very hard to win. Yeah. So I want to know exactly why you want to, Do you are you ready to leave this person? And you'll be amazed how honest people will be if you ask the right questions. Okay. So, yeah. So where, where do people go to buy the book or to find out now? So right now, I, know, I mean, yeah. I got mine on Kickstarter, but yeah. obviously that's done. It's done. You can order it on my site right now, um, so emilycohen.com. It also will be through, because I'm self-publishing. I have a great self-publishing title. Uh, so my publisher's name is uh, Bookseller's Daughter. So oh. you can go to booksellersdaughter.com and get the book as well. Okay. Um, right now it links just to my website, but it is going to have its own site soon when I get my, my act together. All so, right. Yeah, because I'm a bookseller's daughter. My father was on two bookstores. Oh, really? Which is another reason why I wrote this book, because my father is um, 92, oh. and he's really healthy and happy, and he's fine, but I really wanted to do a book before he passed. It's a terrible thing to say, but I think he'd yeah. be really, yeah, I want to make my dad proud. Because he doesn't know what the hell I did. He's going right? to reopen the shop. <laughs> yeah. Reopen the shop just to stock your book. Yeah, exactly. The funny thing, so he works in, he lives in a like retirement community. Yeah. And he uh, wants, he was very specific, he wanted seven copies of the book. Oh. I'm like, why seven? He goes, I have seven friends. I want to share this book with seven friends. I'm like, you know, these guys who are 92 years old who don't know what design is, do not need this book, Dad. But he was like so proud, yeah. you know, it was adorable. So, Well, I don't, <laughs> see, I read that as he wants seven copies because he has seven friends, which means he doesn't want a copy for himself. <laughs> That's true. Maybe it's eight he really needs. Although he did tell me he wants okay. to try to sell it for me. He's like, I'm going to put it on A Libris and sell you sell the book. I'm like, what would you do? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I didn't understand that at all. But I'm like, okay, Dad, whatever you want to do. <laughs> so he was going to get a copy and probably sell it. All right. Because that's my dad. <laughs> he wants to sell everything. He's not giving it to his friends. He's making cash off of this, <laughs> yeah. off of this transaction. Yeah. When he told me that, I was just dying. It was right. so funny. All right. The book's at emilycohen.com. We'll be right back uh, with Emily. So, so the thing, I guess, and this changes all the time. When, when someone hires you, like a creative firm, 
what, what do they hire you to actually like? What is, what is your role there? That's a good question, um, and it's changed over the years, right? That's what I mean. Because yeah. I mean, we talked about it years ago, and I've talked to you since, but I've never actually. Yeah. Over the last dozen years, I don't think I've ever said like. What do people hire you to do yeah. right now? And it changes. So just like your business changes, right? So now digital, whatever. There's yeah. lots of different, like a lot of designers are writing and providing strategy and naming and videos. You know, a few years ago, we weren't doing that kind of stuff. And that's how my business has changed. It's very similar. So when I first started out, as you probably remember, I would write a lot of proposals for them and I'd help them price. But now designers feel very comfortable. Yeah. Well, the other thing is last time we talked, like like four, four years ago or mm -hmm. something, you said that proposals were kind of on the yeah. like they it was all like relationships most of your clients and and the proposal was just like bullet points of what we discussed dollar amount yeah exactly and, and when and when we first met I think you said the proposals were like long form exactly. like letters or it was almost like the full introduction and everything yeah yeah it's and completely those don't changed exist. yeah and now I don't even write proposals I think that's like two percent of my business you know now I spend a lot of time so I think what's changed for me in the business is the clients I work with are smarter than they ever used to be. So when I first started out, designers were just good artists and designers, but they weren't good business people. Now, especially the younger generation, they're smart as all hell. They know what they're doing and they they care about the business of design. They're okay. learning it a little bit in school or they're just really entrepreneurial. I think certainly the millennials are very entrepreneurial. So they push me to say think beyond what I normally do. And so now I'm doing a lot of like a ton of this, which is spending, doing uh, strategic business planning, spending a day with my clients or more thinking about where they are now, where the current state is of their business, and then where do they want to go and how do they get there? And then what are the practices in between there to get to that direction? Okay. Um, so some of my, and my clients have different problems. So we try to solve, like one of my clients had an Agrilla client that was like 75% of their business. So, oh yeah, which, which, is it's like it's like the the good problem to have because you have a lot of business exactly. But in the long term, you're like you need to yeah. And so that's what he was and, thinking. Unless about. you can live on the twenty five percent, then it's a great problem to have. Yeah, but, but knowing that yeah, yeah. exactly because you could lose that seventy five percent at any point. Yeah, and he does you know, and everybody who has a grill client says oh, they'll never leave me. They always say that. Oh no, it's been going on forever. But there will always be a chance that that's going to happen, and you have to be I mean, prepared for it. They, I mean, they could go on a business, they could move, yeah. but really, like, they may never leave you, but when that boss leaves or retires exactly. and a new one comes in, that person doesn't have yeah. any. Yeah. And not only that, but those kind of clients end up kind of, the kind of work you're doing for them is not that exciting. So this guy, the work wasn't that exciting. He didn't even want to show it in his portfolio this firm and it was like a six person firm they they didn't even want this gorilla client in a lot of ways because because oh. it was the work then 75 percent of the work was work they didn't want to show which also which also hurts with morale yeah exactly it hurts with the i mean you can you get burned out in this industry and that'll right. burn you out yeah so we so for them we worked a whole day to figure out what does that mean to the how can we not lose that client necessarily but maybe trim the client train the client Okay. Rethink how they're serviced and move the company beyond that. And the, but every time I do business planning retreats, it's different things. So I have one client. That did they, I do, did, was that successful for them? Did yeah. They, did they get it? Did, was their goal to shrink that and then to grow the other twenty five percent? Or they they were not willing to shrink it. They decided to just make sure that they were building up other business and to change that relationship. So they didn't want to lose the 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 dollar amount. Okay. That they were getting, but they wanted to do less for price, so they wanted to change their pricing structure. 
Okay. Which they were successful to do. So they changed how the retainer was negotiated. What their big chain was, they, the principal of the firm was spending most of the time being the project manager for this account. Oh, okay. So we switched that to say, we're going to hire somebody, and we introduced them, we helped they even helped hire the person so they can trust this person so that the, the principal of the design firm can get out of the weeds of this one client and really focus on his business. Right. Do, so, do what the person wanted to do in the first place. Exactly. So that's what we mostly did. We, we switched the relationship, and then we were able to teach him skills. I was able to teach him skills about how to expand the business, figure out what his focus was going to be, his area of expertise, and also how to build his portfolio back up to, oh. to be able to get that kind of work. So, um, But then I have other clients that are really in good shape. Like they, their business is growing, they continue to do really well, but they just want to keep evolving. They don't want to ever stagnate. So those clients, we just look at what's working really well, what's the next step? So one of my clients was doing really great. They did a lot of work for um, basically firms that do what, good for the world, so social good design. Sure. Um, and so for first one year, we transitioned them from just doing nonprofit to foundation work. Then we transitioned that to strategy. So then we were figuring out, what can we upsell? And one area was strategy. It was, we're not selling strategy. We're losing work to firms that were providing strategy. And the strategy pays better. That's where all the money is. Oh, okay. So how do we upsell strategy? But in an authentic way, not this bullshit way of like PowerPoint decks. I mean, nothing. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so we transitioned them over the course of two to three years to be more strategists. And now that's what they're doing. They do a lot of the work is all based on strategy first. So yeah, every one of my clients has different needs. So that's a lot of a lot of what I do is these kind of big picture. Where's my business going? How do I get there? I also do a lot of just daily troubleshooting, like how to deal with an asshole client, or how to get new business skills. So I do give my clients if they're hiring, we talk about who the next hire is, how to manage their team. If they're dealing with some challenges on their team, I help them with that. So anything, all the business stuff that designers hate doing, I help them with, and I love doing that. Okay. Because yeah. I mean, by, by now you've probably seen it all. Yeah, I have, and they think everything is so different. Every you know, every once in a while, I no, do hear something unusual. No one's ever had a client this mean. <laughs> yeah, no one's exactly. ever had a client this rude. <laughs> exactly. You know, oh, you're not going to believe the situation. They always say that. I'm like, I hear it, and I'm like, you know, are a lot of employee situations. You know, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, that's a new one. <laughs> we're, we're a profession of characters. Yeah, like, this profession's great. There's a lot of characters in it. And, and sometimes yeah. talent comes with other baggage. Exactly. But it's, it's part of what's fun. Yes, that's why I love what I do. Because I work with just amazing people. They're all quirky. Yeah. Right? I'm quirky. Because I used to be a designer, so I'm just as quirky as my <laughs> clients are. I love them because of those quirks, for the most part. Yeah. You know, every once in a while I have a client that, you know, it's struggling. Like, I have a client right now who, um, who I adore. I've worked with for 20 years. I absolutely adore him. But he's not listening to anything I say. Because he's very, you know, he's kind of like change averse. So I'm struggling with that one. I'm actually thinking of ready to say no on that. You're, you're, you're mapping out the scenarios already. Yeah. You're mapping them out. How yeah. far? How far? You know, because I want to help. My end goal is not to make lots of money. Because if I want to make a lot of money, I shouldn't work for designers. <laughs> you know, my goal is to really help clients. Like, I really want to see them grow or change. You know, so I want to see the results of what I do. And if I don't see it, it gets very frustrating. Yeah, and... I, I could understand that. Yeah, because I care about my clients a lot because they're such nice people. Yeah. You know. And, and you mentioned that, that your one client wanted to, they were doing well, but they wanted to evolve. And that's yeah. the thing I think I always try to remember is that 
when when you're busy is when you actually have to start promoting the next work. Because, exactly. Because the, when the work dies, it dies like a, like off a cliff. Yeah. And and when when you're that slow, you can't. It's hard to get work because yeah. you sound desperate. No yeah. matter what you try. Yeah. But when you're crazy busy, you can send out notes. Be like, hey, we'd love to talk. And yeah. Little, and I don't know. Just sound confident. And you're you know, and you don't care. So you also have that nonchalance. Yeah. That, yeah, you could do what I do. It's exactly that. I mean, I think that new new business is something you. It's a habit that you do all the time. And also, here's the big thing, and I think that designers don't realize this: is it takes two years to win a client. Yeah, you mentioned that last time. Yeah. I've been telling I've been telling people, and then the, the longer you talk about it, it's like, no, that's right. Yeah, if you literally track most relationships, it's literally two years to the date. It's almost always that way because it takes a while for people to build up trust. So you have to stay in touch with all these people. And when you're desperate, when you have no work, that doesn't bring in work immediately because like you just said, then you sound desperate and it takes two years. So you, those people will maybe turn into clients two years, but they don't solve your problem of being slow at this moment. No. So that's why it has to be a habit. It has to be something you're con- constantly doing, but in an authentic way. Yeah, and when you ask for work too, it's not like the work's just there. Right. I mean, you may be slow, but they're like, well, we're finishing up projects. There won't be a new project for three months. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So it's a, it's so it's helping my clients come up with those. What do they have to do? What maybe doesn't have to happen? You know, because there's a lot. Look, and you know this as a small business owner. Most of my clients are small to mid-sized firms. You can't do everything. Right. And designers have a tendency to have a lot of side projects, <laughs> like podcasting, yeah, or, this, yeah, or like is. some design entrepreneurship. Yeah, you I, know? I have that. I have that side. Side projects, yeah. So we have to decide, like, where you would weigh your time. Right. You know, because that's hard. It's hard to balance all of those things. And I get that creatives want to do all these fun things, but at some point you have to prioritize which of those businesses is the most important and where do you put that energy. But, yeah, and, and part of it is, though, is is you, is is you I was a few years, I don't know, over, over my career I've become kind of honest about what I will push and do uh-huh. and, what, and where I'm, like, I start to learn, like, I, I can't do that. Yeah. Like someone starts asking, like even on this, like I'm, I'm happy to record this podcast. I love doing this. Yeah. But the minute someone mentions something like, oh, maybe maybe we could do something with video, I'm like, I don't have the time. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I, I can run GarageBand here, <laughs> and and I and I've done, we've done very limited video or something. Uh-huh. It's like, it like the, the time commitment difference is immense. Yeah. And, and just immense. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm like, it's not going to happen anytime. Yeah. Or, or there's certain projects where I'm like, okay, that's that's not what we do. So that's what you're doing. So you're so saying no to some parts of the business. Like you're like, this this is working really well for what I wanted for to be. Yeah. And I don't need to add the video component. I think that's great. A lot of designers don't know when to stop. Yeah, and we do have. I do have people call and they and they ask and about what they're looking for and and there's certain projects where like, man, that might pay. And so you're like, like let me think about it. There's yeah. money involved. Yeah. But then I'm like, you know, no, it's not. I mean, I can't. That's not what we do. And I think that's that's your no, right? So I think that's a lot of designers have a tendency to do that, even with their their design business, which is to take any work that comes in, but they really have to say, is that the kind of work I want to be doing? Yeah. Right. I, even though it, you know, I don't know if I want to do that kind of work. And maybe you do. Like, if they give you a video and you've never done video and you want to do it, that's cool. Oh, nothing. I mean, my my entire profession is made by my entire career is made by. Doing projects we're probably unqualified to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the clients but, are not listening to this, right? <laughs> no, but but it's like it's like but we know that we could do it. Yeah. And so those projects aren't no's. Yeah. But there are certain ones where you're like, 
that is not in the direction that we're, you know, right. we're, we're, we, I know I'm not going to be a fit for that. Right, exactly. Like we were just talking about before when you were, before you were taping, like maybe not doing word templates. Yeah. You know, if that feels like, unless it's for an existing client and you just want to help them out, but for the most part, you, should, you don't want to be doing stuff that really is not a good use of your creativity and your team. Yeah. So Our, our biggest, the, the biggest, I think, no I've done over the last 10 years probably is, is we got rid of um, all the clients that, you know, we just didn't, when, when the phone rings, you just didn't want to pick it up. Yeah. And and so we don't, if, if we don't get along or yeah. with the client, we, we just, we, for, for whatever reason or if the work wasn't the fit, we haven't done any. And then, and then the other work's way more fun. Yeah. Because yeah. even though, even though I'm not saying that we don't do projects that are, you know, sales sheets. Yeah, we all do we've that. We've done some more templates, things like that. It's like the people we work for. We do other work for them, and so it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll work with. Yeah, them. exactly. So if you're doing other really good work for clients, then you're going to help them out with the other kind of stuff. Or if we just like them, yeah. Sometimes exactly. there's, there's some people, but it's not. Yeah. And some of them are smaller, where it's like we know we only do this work for this client. Is it the best use of our time? No, but we like them. Yeah. And they're and they're nice about yeah. it. Yeah. But sometimes you also like. I love the idea that you you have to let go of clients. Sometimes you really do, and even though they've been with you forever. Sometimes it's just they don't grow with you. Like you end up doing kind of more executional stuff that you're not doing the really good stuff and you have to say no to those kind of clients. And so it is hard sometimes to fire clients that you might even like but the work you're doing is not or they just haven't changed their pricing in years. And, so, and, I, and I always say you should sorry, you should always fire a client at least once a year. One client a year. One, all right. Well, well then, then the amount that fire you. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I mean, and it's okay to be fired by a client too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we had a you know a friend of mine. He was doing a bunch of little pro bono jobs, and, and they decided their firm they're going to do like one giant pro bono job a year. Okay. Yep. But he'd been working with these other people, and it's like, oh, how do I fire a bunch of clients that I've worked with for a decade? Oh yeah. What and did so, he do? Well, I think on some of them that he he worked with less, he just you just tell him no. Yeah. And the other ones, like one of them, and the reason I know this all happened was because he called me up. It's like, hey, we have this client I've worked with for X number of years, and I'm not going to do these. Like, do you want a smaller pro bono job? <laughs> so, yeah. and it was, and I was like, we'll do that. One. Yeah. Well, this. So, so on that one, then he, he called him, and instead he said, hey, we're going to recommend somebody else. We're going to, yeah, we we found someone that's going to work great for you. Yeah. So it's like he said no to them, but he also said like, yes. here you go. Yeah. Now that's a great way of doing it. This is what I love about our industry. We all help each other out. Yeah. By giving each other pro bono yeah. jobs that no one gets paid for. No. Or, or giving each other clients that maybe they're not right for their firm. No, I know. Right? Yeah. For different reasons. It could be it's too, too you know, they're too getting too big, but there's a smaller firm that could really use the work. Or there's an expertise that they don't have that somebody else has. You know? Right. Like, I know all my competitors. And, and a lot of field. mine, when they call and I know they're not good fits, we refer them off. Yeah. If, if we think that, if that's the reason we don't say yes to it, we're like, we don't do that type of work. Here's a number. Yeah, Exactly. And I like, for me, I know my competitors really well. We're all really friends. Like all the consultants out there, we kind of all know each other and we're really good friends and we're always constantly referring each other. It's great. Like David Baker tweeted, did my, a really great support about my book and I supported his book. Like, you know, because I think his book's awesome. He thinks my book is awesome. It's all love. Plus everyone thinks you wrote his book, right? <laughs> I don't think so. They read his book, they read his book, and then they're like, oh, that must have been Emily's book I read. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Although we have very different styles. I, yeah. know, I know, Yeah. Emily, Emily always good. Yeah. Uh, it's emilycohen.com. Book is brutally honest. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon.
The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Beery is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dustlab. Find out more at myspace.com slash dustlab.